Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. So, you guys can be seated. I was going to invite all the kids up, but there's one in here right now. So, um, here I'll share it with everybody then. And kids who are in other places, first of all, I got to let you know, kids... And parents, there are kids' bags in the back. I want to encourage you to have your child grab a bag. And listen, even if they're up into like 7th, 8th grade and they need it, right? Uh, Put their name on it. We're going to have prizes coming in those bags through the course of the next few weeks. And also, um, if your child... Oh, man, the floor is so much further away than it used to be when I was younger. Um, anybody else have that problem? How far away the floor has gotten? Uh, if you help your child out in paying attention to the sermon and grabbing a hold of stuff, we've got sermon notes, and on the bottom is a tear-off. And if your student answers just one question and then puts it in the box in the back, including their name and their grade level, they will be, um, they will be gathering up points for the month. And we're going to have a treasure box that they can dive into at the end of the month, or they can trade all of their month's points for gift cards to restaurants like McDonald's or Subway. And some of you adults are going like, that doesn't feel fair. How come the kids get treats and things like that? It's because they need to learn how to pay attention. You're supposed to already know it. Um, And this is already supposed to be a thing you've gotten down. So kids, be sure to grab a bag for yourself and get sermon notes and answer that one question. So it sounds like, or I think we might have some kids downstairs hiding out. So be sure to come up, grab your sermon notes. There's one question to answer, just one. Stick it in the box in the back and store up points for yourself for the, uh, the grab box and or for gift cards for restaurants that you and I both like at the end of the month. So everybody else, I hope if you, um, as you came in, you grabbed a communion cup. I realize that I didn't have a sign out reminding you. If you did not, then maybe nominate one person on your aisle to go grab those for you. They're in the back by Larry. He'll, he's, he'll uh, walk it to you, mate. Well, you just go to Larry. Um, wouldn't want to wouldn't want to stress them out. So a couple of quick announcements as we uh, are getting going. Of course, Sunday Bible School is continuing. Last week, we had over 50 in Sunday Bible School total. So if you were not there, you were on in the minority, honestly, of the folks uh, who were here last week. So I encourage everybody to come and join us. We've got great classes for all age groups. I especially want to encourage if you know anybody with children or you've got kids, get them into Sunday Bible School. We've got great teachers with great curriculum who just want to serve and love and disciple your kids. The adult classes are pretty good too. So uh, good offerings for everybody. Uh, Second, men's breakfast. All the men of the church are invited to join us next Saturday morning, 8 a.m. in the Fellowship Hall. We're going to be continuing our study in Ephesians and we will have biscuits and gravy. So, um, and maybe some fruit on the side just to make wives happy, right? But biscuits and gravy for everybody and some hot sauce. 
So 8 a.m. next Saturday morning in the Fellowship Hall. Love to see all of you guys there. We're going through Ephesians. It's a really low-key study, some great discussion. So encourage you to join us. And then finally, Faith Kids are planning a hayride at the Spring House on October 16. So if you are interested in joining in on that, you can sign up just by emailing hayride to uh, Faith Kids. To what is the email? Faithkids at faithlakeside.com. There we go. Uh, so <clears throat> go ahead and just email faithkids at faithlakeside.com. All you got to do is include the, the word hayride and the number of people you'd like to attend, and that'll be on October 16th. The exact time is going to be dependent on how many people sign up. So uh, if you would help out and, and uh, just email faithkids at faithlakeside.com and let them know that you are interested in the hayride. Now, we are going to continue our series in the book of Philippians. Oh, yes, a card ministry is tomorrow night. So the upper room, 4 o'clock. You told me to remember it, and I forgot. What is my problem? It's on the calendar. Did you guys know we have a church calendar that's on the website, and we keep it up to date? Uh, So, yeah, see, some of you are like, no. Go to the website. Check it out. Um, there's a great picture of me on there. Uh, not the front page, but like you have to look for it. I, it's back in the back. It keeps the uh, hackers off of the, the back pages. Um, they, oh, and it surprises them. They drop with a heart attack. They're done. Um, so not really. Uh, we're continuing our study in the book of Philippians. So if you've got your Bible, I encourage you to open it up to the book of Philippians. Or, uh, of course, you can always open the Bible app and there should be today's notes in the Bible app, uh, and all of the things that we're going to include. So some things to remember, this book is, it was, it's actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in the city of Philippi. Philippi was the first church uh, family that was initiated in Europe. All the other churches that had been planted previously were either in Israel or the Middle East or over into Turkey and Asia Minor. And Philippi in Macedonia, what is today Greece, uh, is, was the first of the European churches. And so <clears throat> Paul, he came there with three others. There was Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. Uh, Silas got thrown in jail with him. Luke and, and Timothy got to stay outside of the prison. And uh, so many good things happened. Remember last week we talked about that the, the founding of that church started with Lydia, who was a seller of purple, and it continued with the Philippian jailer and his whole family. And we see just God did really big things in just a few days in Philippi and established a church through the Apostle Paul and his friends. And then they were kind of run out on a rail. Now, we think that Timothy and Luke probably stayed behind and continued the discipleship of the Philippian church, but Paul and Silas moved on to other places to start other churches. So if we were to look at the ancient city of Philippi, this is a, an artist's rendition of what it might have looked like. It is a, a normal Roman colony city. There is a big theater. There would have been a marketplace in the middle of the city that uh, would have also been the center of the city government. And so about 10,000 people lived in ancient Philippi. And as we look This is actually from just a little bit of a different perspective, but this is Philippi today. And you can see the theater still sort of exists over there. It's outbuildings and some of the extras are gone. 
But then these are the foundations of all of the, the different houses and, and uh, stores and stuff that would have existed in Philippi, some at the time of the Apostle Paul. The city would have experienced um, a lot of change over the next few hundred years. It, it continued to be a living city for about the next 500 years. And so buildings would have crumbled and collapsed or been torn down and new things built on top of old foundations. But Philippi is a, still a, a recognizable city in Macedonia. And so what's so cool about the book of Philippians, and, and in fact all of our New Testament, is that it was written with, uh, by a specific person with specific audiences in mind. And so this, this book of Philippians, it's a letter written by a real historical leader of the church. And his name was... Paul, somebody got it over there. Um, His name was Paul, a real historical leader of the church, someone we know existed. He's not some sort of fairy tale. He's not some sort of myth. He really existed. And it was um, written to a real historical local church here in the city of Philippi, which we can still see. Um, We can still see, man, my slide just went weird. We can still see the modern or or what's left of Philippi. So we've got this real letter or letter written by a real person to a real church in a real city. And he's addressing real historical issues based on Christian teaching and living. So this isn't some sort of mythological thing. This isn't some sort of made-up story, which is actually pretty interesting compared to some other world religions where it's just some guru sitting around and writing kind of deeply spiritual things. You know, what's the sound of one hand clapping? Uh, some of you can clap with one hand, but, you know, uh, others of you cannot. Uh, if a tree falls and no one's there to hear it, does it make a noise? You know, deep spiritual things like that that are absolutely meaningless to everyday life. But what we find in the Bible is, is so often it is this, not, not this spiritual musing, but instead God speaking directly to people or others speaking directly to a church or to a, a chosen people on God's behalf. And so the, the Bible is so real, it is so uh, important to our everyday life, and, and it is, it's tangible, and we can apply it as we read it instead of having to sit around and think deeply and wonder, what does that mean? And so I just want to encourage you to, to, as we read this, try and find how you can apply this real historical letter from a real historical person to a real historical church with real historical problems. How do you apply it to your real historical life because you as you live are creating history as well and so I just want to encourage you to find the application as we go through the book of Philippians one more quick kind of a rewind I didn't even see you were over there Molly if you're interested in the hayride you can talk to Molly too you don't have to just email sorry I didn't see you over there so uh, everybody needs assigned seats so I know where to look for people Uh, now you've moved too Stop it! Uh, if you move around, you confuse me. When you go to different places, I get completely lost. It's like I'm in a completely different church. Um, I'm your guest speaker today. Today, we are going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. 
So Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, is a, a couple of interesting things for those of you who like the, the nerdy things about the Bible. In the, in the original Greek language, these verses are all one sentence. Now, if you've ever looked at the Greek manuscripts, at, at pictures of them, or, or you understand Greek, it doesn't have the same punctuation and other things that we have. Instead, it was usually written, in fact, all capitals and just one long string of letters. There's no breaks between words. There's no commas or semicolons. There aren't any periods. Instead, breaks in the text are established by spaces between sentences or paragraphs, and it all just kind of runs together, capital letter after capital letter. And the, the, the task is to know Greek well enough to find the words that are in there. It's like a word search when you're reading the original manuscripts, something that I don't do. Instead, I have these great Greek copies of things that have punctuation and small letters and little helps underneath that tell me what things mean, because Greek's hard, Hebrew's harder, but we've got these great translations that help us understand what God's Word says in English. So celebrate the Bible that you have in your hand. So Philippians 1 through 3, 3 through 8 is a single sentence in its original language, and it's really just this encapsulation. It's Paul's celebration of the Philippian church as partners in the gospel. Now that word partners is actually going to be important as we move forward. So I want you to uh, kind of think about it as you read it and imagine what it might be. So let's read together verses 3 through 8. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Um, uh, Whatever translation you're reading from is a great one. They might not sound exactly the same, but we always remember they're from the same original Greek that has been translated. So here we go, verses 3 through 8 of Philippians chapter 1. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart. And you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And so Paul has written this this introduction, this beginning statement that celebrates the church in Philippi, the Philippian church. And so we are going to tear this apart a little bit so we might better understand what it is that Paul finds so special about his relationship with this church and what we as a church and we as individual believers might seek to emulate in their relationship with Paul and also in their relationship with with Christ. So here in verse 3 through 5, verses 3 through 5, Paul begins to say that he gives thanks to God for every remembrance of you. So I, I want you to see there's lots of um, absolute words in here. He says, uh, every remembrance of you, always praying for all of you in my every prayer. So you can see that Paul really has this Philippian church in the forefront of his mind often. He's always thinking about them. He says that every time he is remembering them, he is thankful for them. That he always is praying for all of them. Every time he prays, 
So this relationship between Paul and the Philippian church is not some sort of flippant one. In fact, history tells us that over the course of Paul's ministry, it's likely that the Philippian church had sent resources and individuals to help him in his ministry as he continued to spread the gospel to different cities over the next about 15 or 20 years after the founding of their church, uh, 15 or so. Um, and, and so it's important for us to understand that this is not some sort of words that Paul is saying just to try and get them to send more money. This isn't some sort of donor letter where he's like, hey, thanks for sending 100. We're doing so good. Could you send 200? This is actually a deep and meaningful relationship for the apostle. And he wants us and the Philippian church to understand that this relationship is not dependent on the fact that they just like each other, but it's built upon a partnership in the gospel. A partnership. Now we'll get into that a little bit more as we look at some of the words he uses here. So he says, I give thanks because of your partnership. Paul is thankful for this unique relationship that he has with the Philippian church. And so this partnership is not some sort of just contract or agreement. He tells us exactly what this partnership is. It is a partnership in the gospel. Now, that word partnership, uh, it, anybody ever have those moments where you say the same word over and over and it just starts to sound weird? Uh, I'm having that moment. So just so you know, if I come up on partnership and wonder, is that really how I'm supposed to say it? Uh, and I pause, that's why. But partnership, um, partnership there is actually the word koinonia. Anybody know or have a recollection as to where you maybe have heard that word before in Christian usage? What does it mean in, to, to most of us on a regular basis? Fellowship. So if you've been in the church long, you have likely heard, you know, we need to be about fellowship. There's that, this Greek word, koinonia, and it means fellowship. It means doing life together is what some churches will say. And it's true that koinonia is about fellowshipping and doing life together. But what the apostle Paul says here using the word koinonia is actually even deeper than just hanging out and eating food together, which is what a lot of churches, including our own, we struggle with making fellowship. That's about all we do. You know, hey, you want to have some fellowship? Let's order pizza. Hey, you want to do a fellowship? Let's get fried chicken. Hey, let's fellowship. There's donuts downstairs. Uh, you know, hey, fellowship, eat, fellowship, eat. And, and we've kind of lessened fellowship to just mean hanging out together and eating food. And that is not what the word means in its entirety. It can mean that, and that can be part of fellowship. But when Paul uses the word here, he's talking about, and it's translated partnership, because its, it's application is just a little bit different in this usage, and it's actually the more common application in first century Greek. So koinonia to Paul in this usage means partnership, and that's actually what it meant for most people in Paul's day and age, partnership. In fact, not just partnership like two people hanging out together, but a business 
partnership where both people are investing meaningfully toward a common end. You hear that? A business partnership in which both people who are partnered together are investing, investing meaningfully, not just, oh yeah, we're in this together. I mean, I'm not giving anything and I'm not spending any time or energy on it, but, you know, we're in it together. No, they're investing meaningfully into something with a common end. A business partnership where both have resources that they're bringing to the table in order to invest and achieve an, a goal. And so when Paul talks about partnership in the gospel, he's not talking about just Oh, we all love Jesus together. Isn't this special? Everybody feel the love. Can you feel the love tonight? And and then just let's go out and do nothing else with, with this faith. Instead, when he's talking about partnership, he says, I've given my life to the gospel and you've given your lives to the gospel. And together we are giving meaningfully to its advancement. We are not just saying, yeah, I believe everything's great, but instead we are both partners. We are giving things that cost us in order to advance the gospel. And so when Paul is talking about this partnership in the gospel, I want you to pay attention if you're, you, you have sermon notes. The gospel is both the message and the mission of the church. Paul wants us to understand. He wanted the Philippian church to understand that it is so good that they have unity. And he's going to talk about that more. It is so good that they are together. But what he wants them to understand from the get-go is this gospel that has saved us is first the message we want to share with the world around us. But it's also our mission. This is what we are about is the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, we have Sunday Bible school because we want to see you discipled up. We want to see you you become fully living within the good news of Jesus. We want this gospel to reach into every aspect of your life. But the thing is, is you can be really good people and still be missing out on this partnership that you've been called to. You can have great marriages and perfect kids. You can be an exemplary employee or boss. You can have your finances biblically in order and everything is just right. And the gospel message has fully taken root in your life. But if you are not living the gospel as a mission as well, then you are not living out this full partnership that you've been called into. You haven't been just called to believe. You've been called to share it as well. You've been called to sacrifice that it might advance. You've been called to this partnership like the Philippian church. So Paul celebrates this partnership, this gospel that is both the message and the mission of the church. If you see, it's a six-letter word that begins with G. It is the gospel that is the message and the mission of the church. That's for the kids' notes, so I don't think anybody's using them, but maybe one of you older kids, you know, in your 30s or 40s, you need to fill one out so you can get a gift card to Subway. Um, 
I'm just saying. The gospel is both the message and the mission of the church. Paul goes on in verse 6, and he says this. I am pretty certain about this. I'm kind of guessing. I'm spitballing. I'm not, you know, no. He says this. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul has said to the Philippian church and and to all the churches that have followed, I am so thankful that you are giving of yourself. You are investing in this business deal. You You are sacrificing to the end of achieving gospel domination. You are giving and you are waiting to see what God is going to do. I am so thankful for that, that I pray about you in thankfulness all the time. And as I do that, I am sure of this thing, that the sacrifices that you are making matter. That the life that you are submitting to God on a daily basis matters. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you, who is it that started a good work in us? Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, all of these are good answers and right. That it is God himself, it is Christ on the cross and resurrected. It is the Holy Spirit creating fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control all within us. This is the good work that has been started. But sometimes, as we sacrifice as Christians... We start to feel like it doesn't matter. Anybody ever have that day? If you've ever taught a class in church, it it is this beautiful thing. It starts out the first class, twice as many people as you expected. Second class, it's kind of normal. By the third and fourth class, you're like, where is everybody? I thought they were interested in this. You, you say, but, but God wanted to do something here. Well, he is doing something. It's just not exactly what you expected. But it, it can be frustrating, isn't it? Can it? It can be. It is frustrating, isn't it? Those of you who have never taught, you, you're trying to raise up your kids according to Christian standards. Do they do that well? No. They're rebellious. You're trying to find a mate or a partner for life according to Christian standards. Is it easy? No, it's not. You're you're trying to to be an employee or a boss that does it according to biblical standards. You don't want to complain like the Bible tells you not to complain. You don't want to take advantage of anyone like the Bible tells you not to take advantage of anyone. And yet, it's Tuesday at 2 in the afternoon And what do you find yourself doing? Complaining. Oh, I give up. Paul's like this. Listen, it's never, never not worth it to keep investing in walking with Christ. It's always a valuable thing to keep giving and giving and giving of yourself for your Christian life. And for the sake of the gospel reaching out into others. Because I am sure of this. That he, God, who started a good work in you... He will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, this task that feels insurmountable today, this Christian life that feels like there's no way you can do it this afternoon, the promise is if you continue, 
He will be faithful to bring you to completion. He will make you everything you long to be according to His Word. He'll finish it. But not today, necessarily. And not tomorrow. But there will come a day where it will be complete and it will be full. And this partnership in the gospel will pay off. You keep investing in the gospel. You keep investing in sharing the good news. You keep living out the gospel in your own life. And this investment, this partnership will pay off. It will be completed. Now, this, uh, little, that little phrase, uh, until the day of Christ Jesus, it can also sort of be translated on the day of Christ Jesus. So what we know is that completion of who we are in Christ might not finish until the day we say Jesus face to face. Until the day he returns to redeem all of creation and call all his people to his side and be king over all once again. We know for a fact it'll be finished that day. Some will have the privilege of getting really close to completion before that day. Others of us, it might be a little bit of a journey and struggle. But God... When you stay faithful to this partnership, when you stay invested in your walk in the gospel and in sharing it as both your message and your mission, he will be faithful and he will keep working in you. These two words, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion. These two words in the Greek are actually technical words for the beginning and the end of a sacrifice. And so Paul, in using these two words, is helping us to understand that he who started, who began this sacrificial work of you giving of yourself for the sake of the gospel, he started it, he will carry it on to completion, the sacrifice will be finished on one day, and in that day you will be complete and whole in Christ Jesus. That he will start and finish this work of sacrifice. He will complete what he has begun. And the two things he will complete, because the gospel is both our message and our mission, as, a, as our message, he will complete the spread of the gospel through faithful believers. That's everybody who needs to hear the gospel will hear the gospel when Jesus comes back. And who will they hear it through? The mouths of faithful believers like you. Partners in the gospel. Stay faithful. Stay fast. God will complete what he has begun. He's going to continue and complete the spread of the gospel through faithful believers. But he also is doing a work in you through the message of the gospel. And it's called sanctification. Sanctification simply means being made holy. Bit by bit, day by day, as you continue in this partnership in the gospel and you give more of yourself and you invest where the returns are going to be glorious, he will complete the work of sanctification in your life. So what sanctification mean practically for us on a Tuesday or a Thursday? Well, what it means is when you get caught off, cut off in traffic, you don't react that way. And you know what way I'm talking about, right? 
I mean, you're, you're reaching for things to throw. You wanna, you're trying to figure out which window to open for those special land signs, you know. Right? That, that's what sanctification means is that instead of flashing a bird, maybe you pause a moment and pray. Lord, that, clear, that person is clearly, they're not saved. They're, they're on their way to hell. Look at the way they drive. I pray for their salvation, Lord. That, that's sanctification. That's, that's a process of moving from condemning to loving and caring. It's sanctification when your children infuriate you. Instead of throwing things and using language that you don't want them to use, you begin to respond to them with firm correction that is also right correction. When the boss asks you to do something that you don't want to do, instead of telling them off, you respond with, I don't prefer this, but I will do this happily. Because this is what it means to be growing in holiness. When you're the boss, you don't ask the employee to do something that's unholy or twisted up and sideways. You see, this is how sanctification begins to apply to our everyday lives. When you turn on the television, you choose something a little different. When you turn on the radio, you choose something a little different. This is how we grow. And the process of sanctification that's begun in every believer, when we continue to invest in the gospel as our message and our mission, it will be completed day by day, and then fully when Jesus returns. And that's what Paul is really telling us here. The promised return of Christ is the day on which all of God's works in and through us will be accomplished fully. So we have this certainty, not a hope as in cross your fingers, maybe it'll happen, but instead there is this certainty for every Christian who continues to invest in the gospel mission and message that the work that you've been investing in will pay off and it will come to, to, to its fruition when Jesus returns for sure. So Paul, after sharing with the Philippian church and, and us that there is a gospel partnership that we've all been called to, that we get to participate in, and that that partnership will have dividends that will be amazing and they are certain he says this to the, uh, the Philippian church. He says, Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He says, It's right for me to be confident that God is going to do good things in you because I already have seen good things in you and I love you dearly. I, I've already seen as I care for you and, and have grown in affection for you. In fact, this word I have, these words, I have you in my heart. He, he's not. Um, this is a translation of the Greek, which actually says, I, I have you in my innermost guts kind of feel. Um, anybody ever had an emotional day? You don't feel it here. You feel it here, don't you? And the more here you have, the more you feel it. Um, right? But you feel it here. When you're stressed out, 
You don't, I mean, unless you're having heart issues, you don't necessarily feel it here. You feel it down here. When you are deeply consumed with love for someone, you don't feel it here. It's just this, ah, kind of down here. That's what Paul's talking about. He says, says, Philippian church, I love you so much. I feel it in my, in my kidneys, in my spleen, down in my deepest, innermost organs. I feel this love for you. You live there. And I love you like this because I know that we are partners together in grace. This same word, remember partnership, koinonia, this is a different form of the word, but the same root, partners with me in grace. In other words, we have been invested in by God's sovereign work of grace. I see God at work within you. I see God investing in us together. I know that you're a Christian. I know that we're partners in the gospel. I know that he's going to complete this good work in you because I've already seen that you and I are partners together in his grace. I see him giving you good gifts. I see him blessing you as you're faithful to him. I've seen it. I know it's happening. And I know because you continue to stand with me, Paul says, in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, for the Philippian church, this had a real practical implication. They had actually sent money to Paul as he's imprisoned in Rome, facing the death penalty for being a Christian. And he had been offering up a defense and a confirmation of the gospel. These are actually legal terms, this defense and confirmation of the gospel. And so he says, you have, you're sharing with me as I suffer. You're caring for me as I struggle. And as I defend the gospel and prove that it's true. What's cool is we have opportunities today, even now, to share with others who are giving and sharing the gospel in unique and powerful ways. Um, Brother Steve Massey, Reverend Steve, that's fun, he's he's ordained, right? We get to call him that. Um, Left Friday afternoon, three-ish, on his way back to India. He is excited, he's looking forward to about three months there, and guess what? We get the privilege of helping to support that. He was telling me that um, one of the things he's doing with some of the money our church has given is he's buying... Uh, sewing machines. And, and some of you might go, what? Why would he buy sewing machines? Are going to start like doing tents? No, it's this amazing ministry that he is starting another group of, they're buying hand crank sewing machines. And, you, and some of us are like, oh, hand crank sewing machines. That sounds terrible. I mean, some of us maybe actually had like one of the foot treadle ones when we were kids that we played with or used, uh, but they're using hand crank sewing machines. Or he's buying 10 of them with some of the resources that we've given. And so what this is going to be is they'll go into different villages, including the village where the church is eventually, and train 10 women for six months on sewing and small business, right? And the goal is that, that after six months, they'll take those sewing machines that they've been using and move on to the next village, but they will have earned enough money to buy their own sewing machines and continue on in that process of providing for themselves and reaching out to others. 
Isn't that cool? You know how much that's going to take? $500. Some of you are like, $500? I blew that last weekend, right? I mean, um, we're, your investment, your investment, your giving to the gospel, your participation in this message and this mission it's going to change lives. So you do the math, right? Ten women. Uh, the sewing machines are expected to last anywhere between seven and eight years. So every six months, ten women. So my math's not great, but that's anywhere between 14 and 16. So uh, by 10, so 140 to 160 lives impacted by $500 that you help support and give and do. And guess what? That's a small investment, isn't it? I mean, it's a lot of money, but it's, for most of us, not nearly as much as it could be. Not nearly as much as what we're going to see of Paul and the Philippian church as we continue to study. We're going to find out that the Philippian church actually gave out of poverty. They were struggling to feed themselves, and yet they kept sending money to the other Christians in need. Paul describes himself as being poured out like a drink offering. How much of his life did he give for the sake of this partnership? All of it. Poured out like a drink offering. For those of you who don't know, a drink offering in the Old Testament, you would take the wine and you would pour it on the altar as a sacrifice to God. Now, some of you might think, how about this? A cup for God, a cup for me, right? Kind of like an old Julia Child kind of style or, you know, one of the other chefs who liked French stuff. Cup for God, cup for me. No, the whole urn or flask was poured out on the altar to God as a sacrifice till it was empty, upside down, shaken, every drop given to God. And Paul says his life has been like a drink offering. The Philippian church gave out of poverty. This is the partnership that we're being called into, brothers and sisters. Of course, God wants the gospel to impact our everyday life, but he also wants us to be willing to invest everything that we are and have into both the message and the ministry of the gospel. This is what we see working out here as Paul is thankful. He says this to the Philippian church in verse 8, For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You see, he is intimately and deeply connected to this church. He says this, for God is my witness. This is not something that is flippant. This is not something that is, is like just said for fun by a believer like Paul. He wants the Philippian church, he wants us to know how deep our connection should be with one another, with Jesus, all the way down to the deepest of our innards with an affection that is like that of Jesus for us. That's how we're supposed to love each other. That's how we're supposed to be willing to sacrifice for and to one another for the sake of the gospel and for and to the world around us for the sake of the gospel and the mission that we've been called to. Paul, in just these few verses, this one sentence in Greek has given us so much to chew on for our everyday lives. He says that we're called to this partnership. And we are partners in an endeavor, the message and mission of the gospel that has a sure outcome 
It's got a sure outcome. What's certain about the gospel is that it will come to pass in its totality when Christ Jesus returns in your life and the life of everyone who believes. Now, the deal about this partnership, though, is it should be that we are investing meaningfully in the message and mission of the gospel. Investing meaningfully, giving of ourselves, giving of our resources. And you know, I'm not a pastor that likes to harp on on financial giving, and and you guys have been so faithful through COVID and so faithful through these, these shifts and change. Our church is financially sound. In fact, to the point of having a little more cash than we thought we would have, and so the freedom to to invest in some ministries a little differently and to remodel or upgrade some different things here and there. We are so blessed. So I'm not necessarily talking about giving more money to church, but I am talking about do you need to give of yourself sacrificially in different ways? And maybe that would be money, but maybe it would be just your attitude at work. Maybe it would be the way you treat your kids at home your spouse, the way you're looking for a significant other to really change how you're investing yourself. Understanding that this investment of self is for the sake of the good news of Jesus Christ, both in your own life and in the lives of others. So we are partners in an endeavor, the work and and message of the gospel, and it has a sure outcome. We're also co-defendants in a case, the defense of the good news of Jesus Christ, that is certain to be won. I want you to know that the day will come when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The jury may still be out today, but on that day, we as co-defendants saying we stand for the gospel, we will stand amongst the group of those who will join in and say, yep, Jesus is true. We've been saying it this whole time, and you're finally getting it. The jury will declare Jesus is king. And we will have gotten in on the front side of that and been co-defendants in a case that's certain to be won. Ultimately, I want you to understand you're part of a church here and a church of all the believers throughout the world bound together in the love of Christ. We're supposed to be knit together. We're supposed to feel this deep affection and longing for one another. You know, um, I struggle with understanding why church isn't a priority in everybody's life. I I really do. And I know that you, you might look at me and go, Pastor, you have to. I mean, you get paid for this. Look, I and my family have been very gloriously unpaid and still been in pastoral roles and given of ourselves. We've been gloriously underpaid. Not here. That's not a complaint. So it's not about money. It's about God has made it so clear to me and my family that we are bound to other believers with a love in Christ that should be undeniable, that should be so full of longing and desire for one another. And we just, we can't wrap our head around why not every Christian feels that way. And this 
This is not condemning, but it is to say what, what Paul really wants the Philippian church to understand and wants all of us to understand is how deeply we are supposed to be bound together in this message and mission that we know has a sure outcome, in this defense of the gospel that is certain to be won, he wants us to be knit together with this undeniable, unavoidable longing for one another. This depth within our bosoms, that sounds very very um, Mormon, sorry, but, but this depth within, within us that just says, we, we have to be together. And so my hope is that as we listen to what Paul has written to the Philippian church, not that anybody would feel condemned, but if you don't understand what it means to sacrifice for the gospel, that you would begin to ask God what that might be in your life. If you don't get what it is to be a partner in the spiritual walk of someone else, and in the mission of sharing the gospel around the world, I really want to encourage you to, to talk to God a little bit about it. To spend some time asking, what needs to change in my heart, God, so that I be like what Paul and the Philippian church and my church should be like? And if you don't love these people around you, like actually care enough to ask more than just, how was your day? Goodbye. But really to, 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 to try and invest in one another, ask that God would change your heart and help you understand the depth of the partnership that you're called to. Now, am I perfect as a Christian or a pastor? By no means. Will I get overloaded and slink off into the corner and, and like withdraw? Yes. I'm a bit of an introvert. So you're probably going, really? Yes, I am. I get overwhelmed when I've been around a crowd too long. But um, so nobody's perfect but all of us should be striving and seeking and pushing towards connecting. Today, we have this beautiful opportunity as the church. And it's one that's afforded to us on a regular basis, but one that we don't always celebrate to its fullest and recognize in its deepest way. You see, we've been called to a partnership in Christ Jesus. And we get to celebrate that partnership every time we partake of the Lord's Supper. And so if you got your communion elements from the back, I, I realize it's, it feels a little, um, a little, you know, sterile in a cup like this, but <clears throat> COVID is still lingering as a concern and don't always want everybody coming up and tearing bread and drinking from a cup together, right? So we'll be as safe as we can in the moment and understand this about this communion that we partake of. Here's what the Apostle Paul, who wrote to the Philippian church, he's also writing here to the church in Corinth, and he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. You see, the same unity that Paul was calling the Philippian church to, he was calling the Corinthian church to, he calls the Peter's Township McMurray church to, this unity in message and mission where we stand together 
investing ourselves as fully as we find ourselves able to in order to see the gospel worked out in the lives of others and to discover a longing and a unity for one another. So because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, since all of us share in the one bread. So as we partake of communion today, the Lord's Supper, I want you to think of this not just as some special thing that reminds you of the body and the blood of Jesus, which it is, but rather this participating in communion together is a symbol of being willing to participate in life together as Christians, being willing to participate, to be partners together in the gospel, being willing to sacrifice of yourself meaningfully for the sake of others. That's what it means to be a Christian. Not just salvation from your own personal sin, which is a beautiful thing, by the way, but also being brought into a community and knit together in love and unity to the deepest part of our being as we participate in sharing the gospel together. So everyone who has professed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior may join us in sharing in communion today, but especially those who are baptized and members of our church. I want you to remember how important this is. So Paul writes a little later in Corinthians, and he tells us on the same night that Jesus was betrayed, when he and his disciples were having their fellowship meal celebrating the Passover, he paused and he took bread and he prayed over it and broke it, and he said to his disciples that that was his body given for them. And every time they gathered together, they should eat bread as a symbol of his body in remembrance of what he had done. He also, a little later in the, cup, in the meal, took a cup of wine and he blessed it, and he said to the disciples as he passed it around, this cup, it's the new covenant established in my blood. And so every time you drink it, you will remember this new contract between you and God. Later on, we see the details of that contract that would involve the death of Jesus on the cross as the payment for your sins and mine. His resurrection on the third day to prove that this contract was valid. And then the statement that anyone who believes on him as Lord and Savior will have their sins forgiven, will be given eternal life, and will be brought into the family of God by faith, through grace, not by works. And so when we drink the cup, it reminds us the contract we enter into is by believing on Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and the results are salvation and a new life. And so I encourage you to join me. If everybody would open up your bread side, the small side, don't open up the wrong side and turn it upside down. Grape juice stains. Pull it out with me. I just want you to take and hold it in your hand for a second and remember this. That same night Jesus was betrayed, he blessed the bread and he took it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Every time you eat it, remember what I've done for you. Let's pray and then we'll partake. Father, we thank you for what your son Jesus did. As we partake of this bread, may we not just remember him 
and feel this as a symbol, but may we genuinely experience his presence within us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you gave yourself and took the punishment for us on the cross. We thank you for your body, and we thank you that with the same body, you lived a perfectly righteous life so that we could be clothed in your righteousness. As we eat this, may we remember and experience you. Amen. Let's partake. Amen. Got a charismatic in the back. It's cool. I'm down with it. That same night, Jesus took the cup. And we remember all throughout the Bible, there was a practice that blood cleansed one from sin. A sacrifice had to be made for sin to be forgiven. And so the blood reminds us that the blood of Jesus, or the cup reminds us that the blood of Jesus was shed both to cleanse us from sin and to establish that new contract. And so that night Jesus was betrayed. He blessed the cup and he said, this is the new covenant established in my blood. As you partake of it, remember me. And so let's bless the cup and then we will partake together. Father, we thank you for the blood of your son, that in it our sins are washed away and also it is the seal of the contract that you made through your son that whoever would believe on him would be saved, not perishing, but having eternal life. And so as we partake of the cup today, help us to remember the faithfulness of this promise, that this contract that is dependent upon you and your promises is sure and certain, and that anyone who trusts Jesus will be saved, not because of their good works, but because of your good love and grace. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would Remind us of your sacrifice and then be fully present in our lives as we partake of this cup together. In your name we pray, amen. And so let's join together in partaking of the cup. A little later, Paul's going to tell the Philippian church, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, as this letter has unfolded, I hope you can see why he is so strong in this statement. He knows that God will do and complete the good work he's already started in everyone who has invested themselves in the gospel mission and message. And so if I am to live, it is for the sake of Christ and his good news. And if I am to die, I get all the promises that he's made coming true right at that moment. What a beauty. I encourage you to memorize this verse as our worship team makes their way forward to close us out with one last song. As you can still taste the juice and the bread on your mouth, on your lips, on your tongue, I encourage you to remember what Jesus has done for you and to join with Paul in declaring for to me, or for me, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Pray with me if you would. Father, we thank you once again for all that you've done. We thank you for this, this partnership that you've given us with a sure result. We thank you for this participation in the defense of a faith that we have that has a, a sure conclusion. More than anything, we thank you for a church that you've given us 
is to be knit together by that calling and that purpose. So continue to bind us together. May we long for one another. May we long to be together. And may we long for your son Jesus in all that we are and do. It's in his name that we pray and for him we live. And in him we know that if death were to come in just a moment, we would have life eternal. 